Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. You may recall the story of Ken Bone, or as he became affectionately known as the Red Sweater Guy. As an undecided voter, Bone became a viral sensation during a presidential debate at Washington University in 2016. Bone of Shiloh, Illinois, maintains a large following on social media, has a podcast called The Bone Zone, and has managed to have more than his so-called 15 minutes of fame. St. Louis Public Radio contributor John Larson recently sat down with Ken Bone. For more, here's John. Ken, welcome. Well, thanks for having me on, John. I really appreciate it. I don't think there was anyone more beloved than you during the 2016 elections. You were called, quote, the human version of a hug. I really don't get it. I mean, sure, I'm adorable and uh, articulate and intelligent and all that stuff. Uh, but just the amount of praise that people heaped on me solely for existing still kind of baffles me. I, I don't really understand it. How did it feel to be talked to that way? It was really weird because, you know, my family and I, we're all, you know, kind of like jokesters and cut-ups. And we'll always poke fun at each other. You know, my son and I do it. My father and I do it together. And so we always like keep each other grounded with you know little jokes and and snips at each other, and then to have a whole bunch of strangers tell me like oh no you're perfect you're amazing I love you you're my hero at least for a couple of days I was like oh, this is weird I I don't get it. Let's go back to 2016 and take a listen to your question. What steps will your energy policy take to meet our energy needs, while at the same time remaining environmentally friendly, and minimizing job loss for fossil power plant workers? As a power plant worker, what did your energy question mean to you? Well, I never get tired of hearing that. Um, I've, I've heard that clip 5,000 times at least, and the only word I can hear is me mispronouncing the word remaining. Uh, but yeah, what it meant to me is I work at a coal-fired power plant, and uh, when Hillary Clinton asked the question or had the quote a couple weeks before the debate about how we're going to put coal out of business, uh, people started getting scared. Like, oh, wait, well, first off – Coal still provides one-third of all electricity to the United States. Can't just shut it off. You know, we got nothing to replace it with yet. And secondly, if you put us out of business, what happens to us? What happens to our towns? What happens to our families? So that question I almost felt like was a softball to her, a chance to, for her to look the American public in the eye and be like, look, I have a plan for transitioning to green energy, and here's how I'm going to do it without putting you all out on the street. You've been in countless memes. You've been played as a Saturday Night Live character, an IZOD commercial for your fabulous sweater, an Uber commercial, and they even have a Ken Bone Halloween costume, or many of them. How has that attention affected your life, and how has it affected you as a person? It's been really weird. Like I'll, Every once in a while, I'll still see somebody wearing a T-shirt with my face on it, and uh, it baffles me that uh, they could fit my whole head on a T-shirt because uh, it's very large. I, I'm also surprised that, like, I, I was selling T-shirts for a while, and that's how I actually, you know, this is the only way I really made that much money off of being a meme was selling T-shirts. And I'm really grateful to the people that bought them. And I'm also kind of surprised because I'm thinking, like, well, by the time we ship it to you, people aren't going to care about Ken Bone anymore. Shortly after your rise to fame and universal adoration, you started to get some backlash. It was claimed that you had said that the Trayvon Martin shooting was justified. In an interview, you told TMZ that those comments had been taken out of context. What was the context of that comment? Well, two people were arguing about Trayvon Martin, and they were the two typical people uh, that you hear arguing about the Trayvon Martin case, where the person on one side said Trayvon was a thug and it's a good thing he got shot. And the person on the other side 
They're saying George Zimmerman's a piece of scum who went hunting for a kid. Well, neither one of those things is necessarily true. Uh, it's that George Zimmerman was armed and, yes, he went looking for trouble, but he didn't do anything technically illegal. And when he got physically assaulted, he he shot Trayvon Martin. I wish he hadn't done that. I wish he hadn't put himself in the position to have to do that because uh, it really seems by all accounts that Trayvon was a decent kid and George Zimmerman um, sucks and is a jerk. But he didn't do anything technically illegal. So when I said when I used the word justified, all I meant by that was that it wasn't illegal. That's why he got acquitted. If you want to look at changing the law, you can have a debate on that. But it's too late for that now. I wish Trayvon was still alive. I wish the whole thing hadn't happened. But you know, I don't have that kind of power. What was it like to have your words misinterpreted? Uh, it makes you angry because whenever you see something like that, everyone likes to feel like they're a great communicator. And, you know, my words couldn't possibly be clearer. And, you know, of course, that's not always the case, but that's how you feel when you put them out there. And when you see them misinterpreted, you get that back of your mind feeling like, well, they're misinterpreting on purpose just because they want to be mean to me. And sometimes they are, and sometimes they're legitimately confused about what you're trying to say. You also got some heat for having encountered Jennifer Lawrence's leaked personal photos online, but really your comment was about privacy, right? Yeah, there were two people arguing uh, online about whether it was Jennifer Lawrence's fault for having those pictures leaked. And one person was saying that if she didn't want everybody to see those pictures, she shouldn't have taken them. And I came in and I said, look, you know, if I leave my wallet on the top of my car and somebody steals it, steals all the money inside, maybe I shouldn't have left my wallet there. Sure. But the bad guy is still the person who stole the pictures. That's who is in the wrong here. And then I made a tasteless joke about how I'm one of the bad guys because I saw the pictures and I liked them. I'm just trying to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. And that's why people were like, oh, you looked at the pictures. You're disgusting. You're an awful human being. Well, they did get viewed like 70 million times. So there's a, I'm not saying that guilt, you could be innocent by association, but this country must be full of disgusting human beings. You said that you now understand better what it's like to lose your privacy. Can you explain that a little more? Well, yeah. People know everything about me. Uh, I've had people knock on the door to my house and ask to have their picture taken with me. I don't know how they got my address. Uh, we've never showed my house numbers on television. I've never given that away. But it's easy enough to Google everything there is to know about anybody. And uh, just knowing that people could come to my house or people could call me on the phone, which they do all the time, uh, and just want to talk to me is a weird feeling because it used to be that nobody knew where you lived and nobody knew how to contact you on the phone unless they were your friend and you gave it to them. I'm only 35, but that still makes me old enough to have grown up in the pre-internet era where you had to look up in the phone book how to contact a person. And if you didn't feel like going to that effort, uh, then you had to wait until you saw him at work or at school. So now the attention's on your son. You tweeted a photo of your son shooting a AR-15 under your supervision, and that led to his suspension. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it was uh, – that weapon was actually rented from the range. It was a SCAR-17, okay. uh, but it's – it's similar in its construction to an AR-15. It's a semi-automatic rifle. Uh, so, yeah, we rented that at the range that day because uh, he wanted to learn how to shoot a rifle. So I was teaching him how, you know, how to check it clear, how to how to shoot it, how to aim it, all that sort of thing. And Kyle Kashuv down in Florida pretty recently, one of the Parkland survivors, had tweeted about his experience with school security. Uh, he had posted some pictures of himself learning to shoot with his father 
who is a, a former IDF member, uh, you know, the Israeli military. Uh, so he went to learn to shoot with his father and posted those pictures and got given the third degree by school security. Like, hey, posting pictures of yourself with a gun, don't you know that there was a shooting here? And Kyle's like, well, yeah, I know there was a shooting here. I was here. You know, there, I could hear the bullets. Uh, and they kind of gave him the third degree. And he felt bad about it, and he tweeted about his experience, you know, because he was upset. So I replied to him with that picture of me teaching my son to shoot, saying, you know, if the security guys wanted to talk to you, maybe they should talk to my son too, just kind of as my way of saying you didn't do anything wrong. Well, somebody in my son's school district must have seen that, and they reported it to the police, interpreting it as some kind of threat. So he, my son got uh, suspended from school because of something that, I did, where not only was it not illegal, but it wasn't something that he even did himself. And he got, he uh, missed, he only ended up missing one day at school, but we were pretty upset about it. And that was on your Twitter account. Your son doesn't have a Twitter yeah, account, he, right? Yeah, he does not even have a Twitter account. He's not a social media guy. He's a very private person that uh, if you look at the picture, you can only see the back of his head because I, uh, I only share his face with his permission. And that's rare. Like, you know, if I take birthday pictures of him, I'm like, can I please show the people it's your birthday so they can wish you happy birthday? And like, oh, okay. Uh, but he doesn't like me talking about him, uh, you know, like using his name or showing his picture unless I clear it with him first. So I made sure that you couldn't even see his face. You wouldn't have known it was him except I identified him. You also tweeted a photo of the Time magazine cover featuring the Parkland High School shooting activists, and you added Kyle Kashev's photo to it. You said, quote, Fix the Time magazine cover. Here's to bipartisanship. Uh, all of these kids are worth listening to even if you don't agree with them. Can you talk about your message that you were putting out in that tweet? Yeah, I, uh, I've talked to Kyle Kasher before and he is a great young guy and he's super active on Twitter and he can be pretty harsh. You know, he's uh, – he'll say some not nice things to to people but at heart I think he's a good kid and when he's getting attacked publicly – and those other five kids were on the cover of Time. I was like, ah, you know, I just kind of wanted to make him happy. I was like, hey, Kyle, I'll put you on the cover of Time magazine. And one of the young ladies, I forget which one, didn't have any shoes on. So I also pasted some shoes over her feet because I, I felt bad for her not having any shoes. What consequences did your son have to face and how did he take those consequences? Well, he missed one day of school. But it was also the nicest weather day in the history of St. Louis. It was like 71 degrees and partially sunny with a cool breeze. It could not possibly have been any better. Uh, so he was like, well, I'll just sit at home. And he sat under a, an open window reading a book and playing video games very much the whole day. And when we told him that he was suspended, you know, the school didn't tell him. We had to tell him because he got suspended after hours, uh, after he'd already gone home. And I told him, he's like, well, uh, I'm sure it's a misunderstanding. I'll be back to school before you know it. He was so mature. It made us really proud of him. Of course, uh, my mother or his mother and I were – very stressed out, very freaked out about it. But like everything else in life, he just he's going to take it as it comes and make the best out of it. In light of the school shootings recently, can you see how the language of your tweet might have concerned school officials? I think it teaches us how important context is. So like if this was a picture of him in camo paint in our backyard with a caption that said, you know, we'll go get you this time, obviously that's not okay. But when this is in reply to somebody else's story about getting hassled by security guards, uh, I think that, you know, it kind of spoke for itself. But when you're not willing to look back at the context and you just want to see like, oh, this guy wants security to come talk to his kid, 
Well, no, I, I didn't use my Twitter following to call for help for my dangerous son like I was afraid he was going to murder me or something. It, it made me sad more than anything. It's like on Twitter, you only get 280 characters. You can't put everything into the proper context. You have to kind of depend on the reader to read back and see the context for themselves, uh, except that they're not going to. Do you think your fame might be a factor in this situation with your son? It absolutely was. Now, the school administration was not punishing me for being famous. It's just that if I had 11 followers, nobody would have ever seen this picture. And the only reason anybody saw it, you know, it was public enough for someone to report it is because I have like 190,000 Twitter followers. Yeah. Before the 2016 debate, you had seven Twitter followers. Is that right? Yeah, seven. And two of them were the same person. My was your grandmother. My yeah. grandmother forgot her password and made a new Twitter account so she could follow me again. So you said now your Twitter followers are up to 196,000, and I followed you today, so Sweet. You, can, you can add one there. 196,001. There you go. Are you more careful with your posts now that you have this kind of following? No, not really. Uh, I didn't even really use Twitter before the whole Ken Bone meme thing. Uh, I think I had tweeted like two things. and I think one of them was at Ariana Grande because my son really liked her music. at the. He liked her TV show and her music. He was like 10 then. And I was like, well, well, we'll use Twitter. We'll say something nice to her. I don't remember what it was. Uh, and that was, I think, might have been my only tweet ever. <laughs> and I was only following like six people. Uh, but then I had to reactivate the, the Twitter and start using it again because it's the most publicly visible platform I had access to. What legacy do you want to leave for your followers? What message do you want to give to them? If you don't agree with people politically, you don't have to hate them. You do not have to despise the people that don't agree with you. Like I, the example I always give is I don't think universal health care can work in America because the government's too efficient. That does not mean – that I want your grandma to die, that I'd want her to not have insurance and croak. I still want to fix the health care system because it's badly broken, but I don't think that letting the government run it is the best option. And we can debate about what the best option is. But we have to stop saying, like, people that have my position will often say, like, well, you just want the government to run everything because you want a nanny state. Or people that have the uh, government should run the health care position. We'll say, well, you just want there to be dead people in the streets that can't afford their heart pressure, their blood pressure medicine. Neither of those things are true. We don't actually hate each other like that. It's just so easy to start screaming at each other on social media. So I, I, I really just want to encourage people to take a second and realize that the person you're talking to, even though it's through a screen, is a real human being with real feelings that does not want you to croak, you know, that does not think the absolute worst of you. Uh, and you can communicate to each other as if you were real people. And we might actually get something done. What happened to the famous sweater? Uh, the original sweater is in New York now. Izod brought it back from me. Uh, they gave $10,000 to Greater St. Louis Honor Flight for it. Uh, so we were able to fly 18 veterans out to Washington for their day of honor, thanks to that sweater. And I have uh, like a replica that's just like it. So it's in New York in their uh, their archives next to James Dean's leather jacket and Michael Jackson's moonwalk shoes and some other famous garments that their company has made. That's Shiloh, Illinois resident Ken Bone talking with St. Louis Public Radio contributor John Larson. Bone became a social media sensation after asking a question at a presidential debate at Washington University in 2016. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs are available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash stlonair. 
St. Louis on the Air is produced by Alex Hoyer, Evie Hemphill, and Lara Hamden, with production assistance from Aaron Dore and Charlie McDonald. The executive producer is Mary Edwards. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.